and welcome to the Clockwork Game Design Podcast. My name is Keith Bergun. Uh, today we have an episode that is um, entirely a, an interview uh, episode. It was a conversation uh, with myself and Daniel Moore um, of a podcast called This Podcast Could Take Forever. Now, I hadn't actually heard his podcast before um, doing this interview. Uh, he wrote me and he emailed me. He was a listener of this show and he had the idea that we should do like a cross promoted podcast where we both release our conversation um, on our own podcasts that we have with each other. I thought that was a great idea. He wanted to talk about, uh, he had a background in music theory, kind of like how I do, and obviously uh, in games as well. And so we talked a little bit about intersections between games and, uh, you know, and music. We talked about formalism. Uh, we talked about this whole uh, difficulty thing that I, I wrote an article about recently inspired by conversations surrounding uh, Sekiro. I believe that's how that's pronounced. Um, so it was a really good interview. I'm really happy and excited to share it with you. And um, uh, please do let me know what you think. Uh, before we get into that, I wanted to quickly do a little bit of um, housekeeping. I think there's a bit of a debate about whether it should be housekeeping or house cleaning uh, these podcasts. What do you think? Um, maybe I need to do a Twitter poll. But um, we're going to do some of that. Um, so I actually kind of, depending on what you mean by put out, um, I sort of put out two games in the last like week, a couple days ago, actually, I sort of released, um, uh, chess mix, which is my, uh, game. I've been tactical game that I've been working on for like the last nine months or so. Um, that is now out. It's on itch.io right now. I'm going to get it on steam, Android, and probably iOS. Although it's been years since I've dealt with the whole iOS, um, you know, uploading business and I'm kind of intimidated by the process. Um, but we'll see. I mean, steam is also pretty annoying. Um, and I've gotten pretty comfortable with that. So I don't know. We'll see how that goes. Uh, right now I'm working on making the Android build. I do think that, um, something about chess mix, partially the fact that it has that vertical orientation. Um, and I, you know, I did that because I wanted it to be a mobile game at some point. Um, but, um, I think because of that, um, it might, and because of just something about the aesthetic and stuff, I just think it might play better on um, mobile. We'll find out. So anyway, but that game is like done now. There's like 14 levels. There's like uh, 12 different uh, characters. Um, there's all kinds of stuff. There's different items you can pick up, um, different tile sets. It's, you know, it's got a decent amount of stuff. Like I definitely would expand it up from here um, if I get start getting some feedback. But, um, you know, that that's uh, that's that. Um, my other uh, quick note, uh, if you're a Dino Farm Games fan, Dino Farm, we put out um, a update to uh, to Jelly Bomber. So that is something you should check out. It really like fleshes out the UI a lot and a couple other little uh, little things that have been bothering us. Like uh, we replaced the apricot pit sprite, which was very similar in shade to the apricots themselves. Anyway, kind of too much detail. But uh, so, so far we got uh, um, chess mix is kind of out. Uh, I'm kind of going to be slowing pro production on that unless it starts taking off. You got Jelly Bomber, um, a new patch. And then um, the third, the, the the second big release and also, um, you know, uh, one of my first games as Keith Bergun games is the prototype uh, for a print and play uh, game, Splash Clash on Lake Street. Now, this is a turn-based card game. I guess most card games are turn-based, um, but it's a card game uh, for two players primarily, but it can be played by three and four players, or even theoretically by one player, but I haven't actually tested out the one-player mode yet. So this is a game, it, it needs some testing, although it is based on David Serlin's Puzzle Strike. So if you're a fan of Puzzle Strike, you definitely wanna give uh, Splash Clash a go. Um, it's, it's got about 130 cards in it. So, or some, somewhere around the ballpark. So there will be a good amount of like printing stuff out and cutting stuff out, but, um, I hope it'll be worth it. I do. I really like the theme. It's about, um, these kids having a water balloon fight, um, with monsters, um, sort of like, it's like based on, uh, when I was growing up, uh, in this little tiny, like rural, uh, community in the woods, you know, we had stories about like, oh, there's this monster that lives over by the lake and there's this other monster that lives over up in this tree. And we had all these weird stories and we would also have um, water balloon fights. And so I just had this idea. It's kind of a silly idea, but like that, you know, this is a card game about a bunch of kids running around having a water balloon fight and the 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 fantasy monsters of 
of lore from their village uh, are engaging with them in the water balloon fight, which I just thought was kind of like a cute idea. Um, I want to definitely do more with that. Um, I have some really great um, character designs, um, uh, not by me, uh, by an artist illustrator named Ana Lozada. Um, so I really think people will like that art and, um, that is out. So check that out. And that's free, by the way, that's free for everybody. Um, it's a itch.io, you know, pay what you want sort of deal. So feel free to, um, grab that. So that's my big news. Um, for now, I have a new card game that I'm working on that I'm really excited about. You know, a lot of the games I've been working on over the last few years, I would say chess mix is like this. Jelly bomber is like this particularly, um, you know, they're, they're not like my ideal dream games, you know, chess mix certainly is not ex like exactly the, the kind of game I want to necessarily always play or, you know, it, it's, it's trying to do numerous things at once. Um, whereas this game that I'm working on now, um, is very much like in the spirit of games like Codex and Puzzle Strike, um, and, uh, you know, uh, other card games and tabletop board games that I really like a lot. Bonanza, for sure. This is heavily inspired by Bonanza. So anyways, um, it's a really cool game. I'm going to talk about that more soon. For now, I would like you to just sit back and enjoy this conversation that I had with Daniel Moore of This Podcast Could Take Forever. Now, just so you know, this is a joint sort of thing. So it's gonna he's going to like sort of do his podcast intro. Sounds a little weird, but hang with it and it'll work out. All right. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy. Hello, guys, and uh, welcome to uh, this first ever uh, crossover episode. For those of you who don't know, my name is Daniel Moore, and I'm with uh, This Podcast Could Take Forever. This Podcast Could Take Forever is a uh, music podcast. It's just some guys telling fart jokes, but then also talking about, I don't know, some of the deeper mysteries of life. I'm joined today by the infamous Keith Bergun. Uh, Keith, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, yeah. Uh, I am a game designer and an author, and I write about game design theory um, for my own blog, and I've written for other websites as well. And uh, yeah, I've got a couple books out on game design theory. And uh, yeah. Uh, other than that, I'm just an indie game designer myself. And so basically my whole thing is uh, game design theory and games designed with theory. Um, so I like to, you know, experiment actually, you know, building things using some of the theoretical ideas that uh, that I that I play with. Yeah, I, um, what I enjoy about your philosophy is is uh, an intentionality to um every aspect of the the design itself it doesn't like it's you don't take any part of the design for granted you know it's not like okay so we're we're doing a game so you have a gun right you know <laughs> it, you right. actually sort of like to um push back on on concepts like that absolutely yeah and the other thing that's uh interesting just for the regards to this conversation is that uh you know i come from a music background i was you know in bands my whole life and uh, i studied um you know composition in college uh the first time around when i went to college uh and uh and now i'm back i'm finishing actually another degree i never finished my first degree but i, I came back switched majors to political science of all things uh and so but anyway i have a background in music theory as well so if we want to talk about that at all that's something that can be on the table and it's also something that has informed my game design theory i think um yeah. throughout uh, I, my I, career yeah absolutely i know what you mean by that um so um just to get started i'd like to say like so the way that i found your podcast i was um doing like a really deep dive into board game design for a while and um for some reason there is just this rich uh trove of like really high quality board game design podcasts in the world where people are like really like breaking down every aspect of it um i think it has something to do with like the iterative nature of designing board games um compared to video games where a lot of times it's a very black box process mm -hmm. 
Um, so I was listening to Ludology and, um, podcasts like that. And then I just like typed into one of the podcast finders like game design. And so I went through and started listening to them and, you know, I listened to a couple where in episode one, they're like, it doesn't matter what you're doing. What you need to do is just make it pretty, right? Like this is what we call blinging out a game, you know? Uh, that didn't really resonate with me. And then I listened to your podcast and in the first episode, you're like, all right, we're not going to talk about anything. Let's define terms for 45 minutes. Right. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I'm getting into like a research paper of game design. Hmm. Um, but I loved it. Like, and it just felt like there was instantly a, um, a communal language that like that you shared. And so then the conversation became a lot more clear. And so actually I was hoping that you would define some of those terms sort of to set up the rest of the conversation. Sure. So, uh, some of the biggest, um, probably the biggest, um, theoretical construct that I have is the, the four, uh, interactive forms. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I have these like semi prescriptive, um, definitions for these four, um, they're not like they're not like game genres. They're not like um, uh, they're they're I call them forms. So um, the 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 largest form uh, is the interactive. Uh, it's just called um, like an interactive uh, like a interactive system, and mm-hmm. that that you that in practice things that are like sandboxy or or toys. You know, Minecraft, Gary's Mod, things like that that are just loose. Um, they're they're toys. They're playthings. You can play with them. Right. They don't. They they lack goals. That's the first form. And then mm. when you um when you add uh, uh the second form is puzzles, which is uh you add uh like uh, a solution state. So there's some state that you can reach in that system, which is like okay, yes, you have sort of solved this thing. You have completed it. Um, and that's the puzzle form. And so that's a little bit prescriptive, but it does kind of map to the colloquial using of puzzle in most cases the one exception being when people use the phrase puzzle game to refer to things like uh tetris or dr mario which to me actually tend to perhaps be in a different category Um, yeah they're almost dexterity like they're 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 a measure of like how quickly you can react and like there's there's not actually a solution to yeah some metrics. of them some of them are even a little bit stra- strategic like there's sometimes like you know a little bit of strategy going on which we'll get into mm-hmm. but like um okay and then the third form is the contest which is um it's it's like a puzzle kind of but uh there's like a there's some kind of constraint that means that we can now uh measure something um so you know classic contests and this is this matches perfectly with the colloquial, uh, you know, term con- uh, contest pretty much, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, a sprint, uh, a pie eating contest. A lot of the contests have the word contest in the name of the thing, <laughs> uh, you know, push up contest, uh, anything where there's like, yeah, you know, actors have um, some sort of resource that's being linearly measured. And mm-hmm. and and contest is where you first start getting like um Actually, I think it's the it's the only system that has like rankings. So like, you know, this person's the best, this person's the second best, third best, that kind of thing. Um, so that that's the contest form. And then the fourth form is the strategy game, which in my first book, I just used the term game uh, to refer to. Uh, and uh, but now I, I use the term strategy game. And that's that's uh, a contest of decision making is a way to put it. Um, and yeah, so that that's where you actually have these sort of like hidden information um, of some kind, uh, you know, ambiguous decisions um and strategy so you have the the makings of strategy so like you know uh double-edged swords you know um Mm -hmm. like positive sum negative sum interactions uh things that are sacrifice plays things like that and uh but it inherits from and so the cool thing about this system is that every form sort of takes some of the qualities of the the previous thing so um, strategy games have some of the qualities of toys, of puzzles, and of contests. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, so it's like this, like little ladder kind of thing. So yeah, well, that's it, that's the big thing. I find that really interesting because it 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 
it doesn't perfectly map to any game. Like in, in a lot of ways, everything has a little bit of a little bit of this and a little bit of that. You know, these aren't really for perfectly defining things they're, that already exist. They're not they're for cater- categorizing at all. Like that's not right. at all what they're supposed to do. Yeah. But it does give you a good way to break down what you like about something. Mm-hmm. And so like um like you can look at moments in uh like for instance like uh competitive eating. For a long time it was a pure concept. Uh, you know, it was just how fast can you eat this thing? And then um, someone famously came along and was like, okay, I'm not going to eat the full hot dog. I'm going to take the bun out and then I'm going to split the hot dog in half and I'm going to eat that and I'm like going to dunk it in water. And so like that was like someone adding strategy to it to, for the right. first time. Sure. But then from that point on, everyone does it that way. And so it's back to a contest. It kind of levels out. Yeah, and um, a lot of the times when people try to come up with a little strategy, the refs come in and they're like, oh, no, 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 the, you know, we're not allowing that. Like a, a lot of strategies that people would try to come up with um, quickly get defined out as like cheating. Um, yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so like contests are are typically very quite restrictive, especially when they're taken really seriously in terms of what you can do specifically because they actually don't want you to be using strategy. They want you to know who can lift more weight. They don't want to know like oh he has some weird like technique Technique. you know what i mean Mm -hmm. yeah exactly yeah that sort of defines the or um defies the purpose of the contest right yeah um yeah i I just i really love this system there's just so many things that i love to like sort of you know there there are things like minecraft that exist that were exist very much in that toy space it's Mm -hmm. very um playful open-ended um and then you see where people sometimes like try to force a a puzzle aspect in there. And Mm -hmm. um, so in a lot of ways, I think of like a quest in most video games as like this puzzle that they have like stacked on top of a toy system. Mm -hmm. Um, Grand Theft Auto in general. It's like, it's just this big toy where you drive around and you run into stuff. And then every once in a while you like find this character and they're like, okay, I need you to like go to this other point. And like, then now there's suddenly this restricted space with a, with a solution state. Right. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, going on from that, um, uh you know i I don't know i just i really like those terms i like um like i like having people uh understand them just because it it sort of breaks down games into a lot of different things and it's Mm -hmm. not trying to say like um i think like some of the friction that you've had in the past was um where you tried to use explain these terms to people but then people took it as an attack on the things that they loved because hmm. it's like, Oh, so you're saying this isn't a game, right? Sure. You know, like this is a toy now, you know? And like, so yeah. they would take big offense to it. Well, do you want to like talk about that for a second? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, well, I think uh, it's a lot of that, some of that critique, especially, you know, was very legitimate and I took some of it to heart. Like, you know, originally with the first book, which was 2012, um, I used the word game to define that fourth form, that strategy game form. And I did find that that was, um, you know, I, I didn't, uh, eventually like for my second book, I, I changed it to strategy game, but, uh, I didn't quite fully understand, uh, still at that point, I was, I just sort of did that because like, ah, oh, it's just causing too much like pr- trouble, but I didn't quite understand the ways that when you define a word in a certain way, like that I was actually playing into some dynamics that were happening in games that I really didn't want to like be on that side of that, uh, of that equation, you know, sort of the gatekeeping, like what is a real game? Who is a real gamer? That whole kind of thing. Like I really, yeah, that was never my intention was to be, uh, at all kind of like, um, exclusionary or like, you know, and, and I understand how that came across and, you know, I, I still, I mean, you know, there is another element to it, which is being a critic, you know, like, especially in a, in a world like our world of video games, which is in many ways, um, very um besieged and has like a besieged mentality from you know decades of uh you know being actually under attack 
not just like socially as like, you know, oh, games are for kids. They're not a serious pastime, et cetera, et cetera. But also even like politically, you know, where games were, there was talk in the 90s about like, you know, censoring games and uh, from, yeah, you know, games these, cause violence. Uh, and, yeah, and, yeah. And, and you know, and it was a legitimate concern at that time, like that, you know, that these like old people who don't play video games at all and don't understand our, our hobby are going to take it mm. away from us. And so, you know, in that, in that space of this defensive kind of posture, um, someone coming along and saying like, Hey, you know what? Uh, I think our games could actually be a lot better in certain ways, um, is gonna cause a lot of trouble. And it's, it's a constant rolling negotiation process, uh, as to how to, how to navigate that and um it's hard and i'm still working on it. i just wrote an article yesterday actually uh about the difficulty modes uh regarding this conversation surrounding sekiro and uh you know the from software games and um and and that is already i'm like literally today i'm like dealing with like people getting very defensive about about things and you know and, mm -hmm. and i i take some you know I think that somebody coming out into the world and putting anything out there, they're responsible for like how, how that's taken and how people react. And so, you know, to the extent that there is that kind of stuff, uh, you know, I'm of course responsible to some extent. And so I, I need to figure out ways to do that. But at the same time, I think that the criticism and the conversations are really important. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know if I've answered your question, but that's, that's yeah, no, absolutely. And actually, um, I have like kind of a, a vested interest in in the whole um from soft uh argument so I, i'd actually love to hear like what you like what what the argument you're putting forth is yeah my argument is um that we so you know it's not a problem to have a game that's hard come out um you know i think that's fine um but i do think that in the landscape that exists now it's also you know, I guess for me as a developer, I'm just kind of like, well, why why not add a easy mode? And I think that I think that the you know, this is one of those things where the fact that it doesn't have an easy mode doesn't bother me, but the fact that there's no really good arguments to not have an easy mode and the mm -hmm. way that people are I from my perspective kind of like defensive and a little bit weird about that. Um uh that's what's weird to me about it. It's like it's it's almost like a meta complaint. Like I'm not it's a, it's fine that there's a game that's hard and and doesn't have any real accessibility. Although actually, you know, I I don't know. There, it's a part of a much bigger conversation. But my general take is, you know, we should probably try to make our games accessible when when necessary. I don't see that anything is lost by not by, by including a, an easy mode. I I just don't see what's lost by doing that. Um, mm -hmm. And I do see what's gained by doing that, I guess is how I'd put it. Yeah. I think the argument, I guess, in, in favor of the um, the one difficulty is probably just continuity. Um, a lot of the bragging rights associated with those kind of games comes from the difficulty. Mm -hmm. And so it's very universal to say, like, if, if you say I beat Dark Souls, like everyone knows what that means in, automatically. And I'm not yeah. even... Uh, particularly for or against like the difficulty levels but i feel like for some people they feel like if you add an easy mode type thing then um you you sort of lose like what it supposedly meant then then you have to say like i had to beat it on the real mode you know and so yeah, it, yeah, yeah. it quickly becomes this argument just amongst people that have played the game that it's like did you even play it you know if yeah. you played it on easy no, that that uh, makes sense. But the thing is that that is very, very reminiscent of, oh, now Farmville's a game. So you're telling me I can't just say I'm a gamer now. Now I have to yeah. like specify, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And so it's 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 kind of the same animal. That's legit. And that's true. But it's like, you know, maybe it's worth losing that. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Uh, yeah. And that that's a really good point. Um, One thing is. Um, in terms of the game as a whole, um, so, uh, I think something that you've hinted at in the past, like in some of your podcasts, was about kind of um, maybe uh, the state of a match versus like the game. Like, what is the game? You know what I mean? Because we you've talked before about, say, um, one particular match. Like, is that match itself 
a game itself. I, I don't know if that's coming across clearly, but it's like you're of a certain skill level. I'm of a certain skill level. Is this particular enclosed moment? Is that the game or is the game um, sort of a, a broader like everyone has played this game? And I, I, I guess like what I'm trying to say is that at the different difficulty levels, like are they even experiencing the same thing? Mm. Uh, well, probably my answer would be no, but also my answer would be that each player is probably not experiencing exactly the same thing anyway, right? Like everybody has their own, you know, games uh, take place in the world. Like, you know, we we have a, you know, like, you have a half an hour to play today. You have three hours to play today. You know, there's like uh, there's all these other things happening uh, in your life, you know. And so mm-hmm. everybody's having unique experiences playing games. And um, well, based and, on, and yeah. from soft games, like despite the fact that they have this sort of very difficult, like they're like, this is what it is. They still offer you the chance to like go and grind the difficulty out of the game. Sure. So like there are difficulty levels built into it and people find ways to make it more difficult anyways, kind of a virtue yeah. signaling thing, you know, right. like, ah, I beat it with a, a guitar hero controller. And mm-hmm. it's like, what did you do? You know? Yeah. And at the same time, people also do the opposite too, which is like, you know, modding the game or finding, you know, cheats or whatever. There's ways to um, make the game easier if you have to. So it's really more about like, what are we signaling by not, that's what really bothers me is like, you know, by not having an easy mode, it's all it really is. You know, it's this marketing thing, really. Right. It's like, oh, this is the hard game. Remember when games were hard? We're going to make games great again. Or, you know, mm-hmm. back in the days when games were real games. And I think yeah. there's like there's something in there that's just a little bit icky to me, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, I see that. um parallel and music a lot of times mm-hmm. um there is a push from a certain kind of people to make um sort of live music or just music in general inaccessible mm-hmm. um like it particularly i saw it a lot from like the hardcore scene where mm-hmm. it's just like we've mosh bro you know mm-hmm. and so like every time you go to these shows you can't even watch the band because you have to be like fending for your own life right and like you know, and it's like, well, if you don't mosh, why are you even here? And it's like, well, you're like really like forcing a lot of people out of this room because yeah. like you need to take so much space, you know, <laughs> and you kind of threaten a lot of people yeah. with your presence. Yeah, no. And that happens with all kinds of genres of music. I mean, particularly, um, you know, I mean, certain kinds of like jazz and stuff can be, um, I think, a little bit like secret languagey sometimes. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, and that's the kind of the same thing. And and so, yeah. There's, you know, I think there's probably also situations where I would, I think that's okay, and I think that that's uh, useful to certain like um, groups um, to mm-hmm. have to sort of have their own spaces and stuff. And and I think, but I, you know, so I think it's a case by case basis. But uh, in the case of the situation in games it does appear like you know this dominant uh group is sort of trying to protect their dominance uh, to sometimes and i you know i i think that um it, it's pretty low cost to add you know uh, there was uh, last year i think it was celeste came out and that was a hard game um and but there was a lot of discussions about how they had like an assist mode and they have like the the strawberries that you have to collect are kind of like extra they had like little Mm. things in there that you know are to make the game a little bit more inclusive and i think they were applauded for that and i think that's that's a good thing um actually i saw a uh, thread of the designer of celeste talking about like the nuances of creating an assist mode Hmm. and um basically he said that like you shouldn't treat it as an on off switch you should treat it as a slider and -hmm. it's just like where people could you know they're like maybe there's the hard mode that you like in theory want to get people to um but you so you you can let them go like well maybe like the game speed is just like 80 percent you right. know, and like maybe it's 50% damage, you know, and just like different things like what in particular is making this like too hard for you to play and to experience yeah. and like being able to dial that in particular. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, it's interesting because like, 
this in a lot of ways is a kind of um, very antithetical, actually, to the sort of theory, some of the theory that I was sort of putting forward and very vocal about, you know, eight, 10 years ago, um, because to some extent, some a lot of my theory, not the stuff that I already talked about um, so far, but like a lot of my theory is a, is kind of predicated on this idea of there is one pot like best design uh, of a game and, you know, that that like you so my uh so my game that came out in 2015 oro um it has like no options at all uh granted it has like a single player elo mode um which means that like as you play it adapts to your skill level so it, it doesn't really need like options in terms of difficulty because of that um at least um in theory it shouldn't um but it doesn't have any options in terms of like like any configuration options options at all that's something that i've for a long time like I, i've kind of really not liked about um games and i do think there's some valid reasons when it comes to strategy games you know sometimes strategy games like you know, if you were to tweak one value in uh, like in chess or in League of Legends, even, you know, uh, it could screw everything up. And so there is a fragility there to sometimes of those systems. And I think that's partly what I was talking about. But I think the other thing that I was sort of doing is, you know, being a little bit uh you know ascribing your values and your tastes to everyone sort of universalizing your experience and so i've been trying to move away from that a little bit more in the last few years and understanding that like you know people have different lives different backgrounds different tastes and so it does make sense to the extent that you can do it uh you know to provide some of those kinds of options like you know you're talking about game speed and stuff like that you know back in the day i would have said like oh my god no you can there is one <laughs> game speed at which this game works properly and then every mm -hmm. other game speed is either too slow or too fast and it's messed up for one reason or another and i think that's probably true for an individual but right. um but not for everybody yeah exactly um yeah, that's just the whole thing about accessibility in general. Um, going back to something we were talking about earlier, the kind of um, gatekeeping conversation a little bit, and uh. um, we're saying about like you know jazz and and um, in one of your episodes that I'd listened to in the past, you discussed like high art and and sort of the um, how it's only consumed by this elite few who like get it. And then everyone else, it's sort of, I don't know, uh, very, um, uh, uh, I don't, I don't, I, I can't even find the words right now. But, but essentially, the the conclusion you came to is that like, what is the point of art if it doesn't communicate, mm -hmm. and if it doesn't communicate to like ideally as many people as possible? Um, that's a conclusion we come to often on our show. Is like, it's like, what did the Beatles do well? The Beatles raised the bar while simultaneously maintaining like the ability to communicate with their audience all the way through. Right. So like they never stopped being an impressive band, but they also never alienated their audience. Mm -hmm. And like, that's kind of the true genius of, of a band like the Beatles. And so people that are like, um, purely talking about like, Oh, well it's all about the art or it's all about the music or it's all about the game design or whatever. It's like, well, like what was the point of making this art? if if like people can't consume it if it's is it really art you know mm -hmm. well i i think it's probably still is art but it's more of the question like what what is the objective of this art and and you know for some of that art the really exclusionary stuff i think the objective is to create like an underclass and uh, you know protect an upper class like of some kind it may not be financial many times it's not a lot of times it's like about education you know some kind of status and protecting some kind of status and separating it from a lower status group and uh to the extent that art is that it's not that it's not art. It's just that it's worthy of criticism and, you know, uh, worthy of derision. And uh, I would really recommend if people haven't um, read um, Ways of Seeing by John Berger, which he talks a lot about this kind of stuff uh, about the um, I forget if he's the one who uses the word aura to refer to art. Uh, uh, that might be this other guy, Benamine. But anyway, there's these videos on YouTube um, of John Berger. Uh, he did a video series of ways of seeing, and it's really 1970s ish and like old and weird looking. But mm -hmm. um, 
He has this great sequence where he has a bunch of children sitting around him looking at some like fine art. Um, I forget. They're like Renaissance paintings or something. And, you know, the kids are giving their reactions. They're obviously totally uninformed about like, you know, the history and the, the language of like museum culture. And yet they're able to engage and they're able to like you know, talk about what they see and, and how they interact with it and stuff. And yeah, I think I, that to me, seeing that was, uh, I, I found that to be an important, um, like reminder about like, what, what are we trying to do with art? You know, like, um, yeah. And, and, and not trying to just be exclusionary and just realizing that, you know, we're, we're all a bunch of, uh, people with our own experiences and that when we come to art, it's, I don't know. I, there's a, I think that we just need to rem remind ourselves that there's a way that we can use art in this like territorial way to try to um, kind of establish dominance. And but there's right. also a way that we can just like communicate and be like, hey, look at this thing, you know, um, and uh, and sometimes that can be really critical and really like, you know, intense. Uh, and sometimes it can be really like benign and silly. Um, but um, yeah, no, I, I, to the extent that art is about excluding people and that's, that's kind of goes back to this dark souls thing. I mean, I, I think, you know, that that is a, to the extent that it's signaling anything, it's signaling, um, you know, that there is this upper class of like real hardcore gamers, which, Get you know, good, I, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's funny because like I myself, like I remember so back in the 90s, Next Generation magazine, I was super into that magazine and they had an episode uh, like an issue where you could send in your stories of what a hardcore gamer you were. And <laughs> I and I sent in a story. I forget if I was actually in the in I got into the page or not, but um, a bunch of friends of mine did. Uh, but yeah, so I was like super attached to this idea of the hardcore gamer identity and so and i think that you know uh, that's it's something that's hard to move away from i i you know i often still find myself talking in a way that like um you know like puts down games of a certain type like mobile games or you know web games or i don't know any kind of game that's not like too close to what i grew up thinking of real games as right yeah, you see that a lot right now with the um, gamers rise up type things going mm -hmm. around. I don't know if you see a lot of that. It's this like Joker persona of like real gamers. And, you know, it's like Farmville's not a real game. Candy Crush isn't a real game. You know, and right. it's just like all right. of these like just ways for them to try and like mark their territory um, on something that is like like simultaneously games are huge and they want to be the best at it, but they also want to keep a bunch of people out of it. So like that there's this irony with, yeah, well, with that I, whole kind of culture. Yeah. I mean, I think that what they ideally would like is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We want there to be like basically an underclass, you know, that is yeah. engaging and that is fueling this, eco this ec economic, you know, juggernaut, but that doesn't have the status or, you know, the, because like mm -hmm. in the last 10 years, like gamer kind of became switched from becoming like this nerdy, geeky, uncool thing to becoming like, Oh, actually it's cool if you're a gamer on some level. And so, you I mean, know, at this point it is like synonymous with just people. Like, you know, you meet True. an eight-year-old and they play games. Yeah. Like, they're playing Fortnite, they're playing Minecraft, like, whatever it is. Like, right. to the point that it's like, you know, you can see some kid dancing and they're doing, like, like very specific, like, things that, you know, I mean, came from other cultures, but were popularized by, by these video games. So Yeah, but I just mean it's also been adopted by mainstream in a way that it That's had what I 10 mean. years ago, like, um, as a cool thing. So, like, you have movies like... Um, what was the one that was based on a book uh, about the kid? Ready Player One. Yeah, Ready Player One. You have uh, Wreck-It Ralph. Mm. Um, and and yeah. I guess there have always been a little bit of that, but uh, it seems like it's been more adopted by the mainstream. And so, like, you know, people who grew up being like, yeah, I'm the chosen one. I'm the real gamer. Uh, and, mm. you know, and to their to I guess their credit, like, you know, they did sort of suffer through some of the trials or some of them did, uh, you know, when of being an uncool person back in you know if they're old enough back in the like early 90s uh 
when it was like a geeky, uncool thing. And so I can kind of understand how like now, oh, now it's cool. And now like I don't get to have my like special, you know, a real like veteran gamer status tag. Um, right. Yeah. 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 And that's the problem with with, um, uh, I don't know, kind of external identities like that. Um, one thing uh, sort of switching um, topics here a little bit uh, is uh, the concept of just formalism in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's something that I heard kind of on your show. Um, and it's like, I don't know how it's defined normally, but my understanding of it is kind of um, that there's a pureness, like that there like is a purest version of something. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe you extrapolate it. Sure. Yeah. Well, Okay, so there's, you know, there's there's formalism in art, there's formalism in architecture, there's formalism in, in different fields. And and like many of these kinds of terms, it is blurry and there are different definitions. But um, the, the way that I use it um, is, you know, formal theory deals with, uh, in terms of games, the actual like rules themselves. It looks very close. It's a very like close view of what are the rules? How do these rules interact with each other? Sort of in a vacuum. It's it's not concerned with, um, you know, the greater context. Like, oh, what country is this coming from? What's happening in that country? Things like that would right. not be a part of a formal analysis. Formal analysis would be like, what are the rules? You know, uh, you know, how many mechanisms are there? Um, and so to take it to music, like music theory is highly formal. Um, usually, um, there is some branches of music theory that are like that, that get into like sociology and things like that. But that's, that's, you know, typical, you know, Renaissance, uh, era, um, music theory that, that we all learn, you know, um, if you go to music school is, uh, is extremely formal. And so it's, a, it's questions about like, oh, you know, like the, the, like counterpoint, you know, counterpoint theory is like, is just concerned with how do these notes relate to one another. Um, and so that's what I think formalism is. Uh, mm. it, it, that's how I use it. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I just, I find that concept really interesting because, um, so we used to do something on our show where, it, you know, it was just a jokey thing where we would do a battle of the worst. And so we would take Nickelback and then we would say, who's worse, Nickelback or Papa Roach or mm-hmm. something. And then so we would just like go back and forth listening to songs and and whatever and talk about like all of these different elements that in a, in a lot of ways weren't ever directly related to the music mm-hmm. because it's hard to take a piece of music and break it down and be like, here's why this is bad. Right. It's and like, and the thing that makes so much of the music bad isn't, isn't any of the music in a formal sense. So we deal with this all the time because, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the band cave They're no. a, uh, like, they're sort of rock, uh, metal sort of somewhere in there but so they um a lot of times they they do a lot of different genres so basically like they always maintain this like one cool aesthetic no matter what they're doing mm-hmm. and so we'll listen to a riff by disturbed or something who is you know famously cheesy mm-hmm. and you know we'll go like this would be good if caven was doing it and so it's funny how you'll like hear that and then that automatically means that like maybe on a formal level it's not even a bad song it's right. just like their execution of it is so poor mm-hmm. and like and the the aesthetic around it really um sort of ruins like what was there yeah yeah Totally. Um, I think what you're pointing to is that, like, on some level, formalism in general is like a lie, <laughs> uh, you know, but it's also a thing that we have to engage with. Like when we're sitting down to write something or we're sitting down to design something, we are kind of operating in this formal universe to some extent in some way, you know. So so I think that, you know, what I've been advocating for is a kind of responsible formalism that just, you know, always recognizes that like, yeah, you can have theory, you can have like ideas of like what makes, what's a good chord progression? Like what's a good, um, you know, what's a bad kind of randomness for games, those kind of things. Um, but you just always have to remember that like you, this is coming from you, like a biased individual with your own particular, uh, you know, experiences and impressions and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, that, 
it, this is not going to be reflective. This is not some universal truth um, that you right. feel like you've discovered. It might be really useful for you. It might be hopefully useful for others as well. It's not going to be useful for everyone. Um, and, you know, it may even have things, components to it that are harmful to other people that you're just totally unaware of. So um, it's I guess it's like, you know, you could just say, you know, being humble with with formal theory is is important. But I also think mm. um, just taking it, taking a step back every now and then and just like remembering to like recontextualize um, your whatever it is you're working on. Um, that's kind of how I that's how I sort of uh, react to like what you you've given about that experience of, oh, if this other band did this, uh, it would be better. So it's not just the notes on the page. That's the issue yeah exactly um and uh I, yeah and this sort of brings me to um maybe something something that we've kind of been circling and um and it's about basically onboarding in general and um i guess like you're a person with a particular like taste level and like i i you know i really like love to study games and music and like try and like find things of like a higher quality at least by my from my perspective. Mm -hmm. And, um, I feel like sometimes as somebody who is like talking into a mic and, and like, uh, trying to show friends, new music, new, new games, different things, you're trying to show them things that have made interesting decisions and that are worthy of study. And, um, <clears throat> getting back to some of what we talked about, like with Sekiro and it's, assuming that that is a really high quality game and that that is something of a high level of taste and it's something that's worthy of study then by them not allowing people to onboard to it they're making it difficult for people to experience a higher quality game as opposed to you know um you've talked about before the loot box type games where you know it, it's not a it's not necessarily a positive experience for people and it's not even something that is um thought out in a positive way it's it's like playing with your brain to 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 force you to like continue to engage with this thing in an unhealthy way yeah and you know that's a that's a good i like the expression onboarding and 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 if you think about something like these uh the from games um you know think of it this way like so you have this group of gamers who are like the core from gamers right and they're whether there's an easy mode or not they are going to get access to this game um and like what they're complaining about is i want both access to this game and also this other thing, which is this like, you know, sort of bragging rights kind of like or I, I've heard it kind of explained in different ways. But um, this, there is whatever value it is. Let's just put it in a box. This this other value that happens when there is no easy mode. And I can't exactly explain what that is, but let's just assume that that's a real value. So they're saying mm -hmm. I want to be able to have this thing and I also want to be able to have this other thing at the expense of the other groups like getting to access it at all and so that's the way that to me it looks very like um defensive and like territorial and like uh, entitled you know it, it it's like it's like uh, yeah that, that that's kind of how i react to that yeah absolutely and and um there's different ways where i've tried to apply this um recently we've been um doing more like uh, booking our own concerts and and different kinds of music type stuff and and um for instance the the guys that we're in a podcast with they have a band called xy spaces and um for a long time when they would talk about themselves as a band they would say something like oh we're experimental post-hardcore you know very sort of uh difficult alienating kind of words and mm -hmm. like that wasn't ever the intent they were trying to be accurate and they were trying to sort of prepare you for the experience but they're not an abrasive band and they're not mean or anything and so I've been sort of pushing for them to just start calling themselves rock hmm. because like there's no reason to like make people come into this assuming that they're not going to like it. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. so there, there, there's a lot of ways to really change your posture 
and make things more inviting for people. Um, you know, uh, like things like hardcore shows or something, you know, minimizing the kind of like violent dancing or whatever. And, Mm -hmm. um, and then there's a lot of applications in video games about like the ways that you actually invite people to be a part of your community and to play your games. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, it, you know, it comes down to, I think, you know, yeah, the, the hardcore moshing kind of, uh, thing is, is something that, uh, makes sense, um, from this perspective. Like, so do you, you want to not only see the band that you want to see, but you also want to be able to mosh, uh, at the expense of someone who like, you know, I mean, if they're like, they're disabled or something like they certainly, they, a lot of people just, I mean, plenty of people who, regardless of their ability, are not comfortable being in that kind of situation. Um, you know, I also, you know, there's probably a gender dynamic there too. I think probably, oh, absolutely. yeah, you know, um, and so, uh, you know, it's like, I want to be able to see the band that I want and I want to be able to, uh, mosh. And, and if that means other people just can't go at all, well, you know, too bad. Um, and I think that that really reinforces this like underclass, this like not real, uh, um the you know you're not a real fan because you can't engage with the mosh pit um Mm -hmm. and i've heard that kind of stuff with regards to like you know punk music and metal and and other genres and so yeah that's that's something to i think that's something to like you know really identify and like reject really you know forcefully and Mm -hmm. uh you know it's fine this is a really good conversation and i i'm I'm like oh i want to go back into my article and be like uh, bring some of these examples in because these are really really good um yeah well, yeah, I'm I'm glad. And that that's kind of um the reason that I wanted to have this conversation is that as I've been listening to your podcast for a long time and um to my listeners, I really recommend uh to listen to the Clockwork Game Design podcast because even if you're not really that interested in game design, you'll like pick up just a lot of like really interesting tidbits, as I hope you did, like throughout this conversation. Um but there's so many times where I've been listening to you, Keith, and like I just like wanted to like, like I don't know, not not even fight back, but just throw throw another example and throw throw a different nuance, you know, just because that's the whole point of having these kind of conversations. It's talking to someone who has a clearly different perspective, um, feels slightly different about stuff, but is very willing to engage with you about it. Yeah. And I, I, you know, um, if people have, um, critiques of things I've said, like, you know, honestly, I have critiques of things I've said too. And I, yeah, I hope I, that, you know, I, I, once, once you've been doing this kind of stuff for a certain amount of years, like it, you know, you're, you're like anytime somebody, like somebody emailed me the other day and they're like, Oh, I cited this paper, this, uh, game of sutra article you wrote in 2010. And I was like, Oh God, like, <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, it's like it's mortifying um, because, you know, you 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 adapt and evolve over time and and grow and change. And so, like, um, you know, if are there are there things that come to mind for you that that like you've heard or uh, you did call me infamous when you <laughs> introduced me. <laughs> so I'm wondering, like, what what's what's the inf- I guess that the infamy is like the game thing. Is that what you're sort of referring well, to? I, a, a lot of it was just that you're early on especially like if you listen to some of the earlier episodes you were more confrontational about the difference like like you were more formal in your approach and it's um i actually really appreciate your like softening of your language over Mm. time that i noticed you doing because um it's what we've been talking about it's like if you want people to understand these concepts you also have to like onboard them you Mm -hmm. have to like you have to give them a ramp to come on and you need to like give it to them piecemeal because like not that they're dumb it's just like they don't care that much one so like you know like it it takes a little bit to get somebody like to follow a new concept and also like people have a, a perspective and it just it takes time and you know and like and nobody listens to an asshole like if you come off as an asshole which I have like a thousand times yelling Mm -hmm. at people because they need to stop listening to, you know, whatever thing, you know, it's, it's so much easier. Um, I, I heard it said, and and I've talked about it on, on our podcast, but, um, don't say, but say, and instead. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, Hey, I really like your show. 
but you could do this. Right. Like you can literally just say, Hey, I liked your show and you could do this. Yeah. You yeah. Know, like just that, that softening of language makes a huge difference in how effectively your message comes across. Yeah, no, I agree. That's, that's really, that's really important. Um, I had a thought and then something happened and my, and I just totally blanked out. Just lost it. Yeah, totally lost it. <laughs> no, I totally get that. Um, may it, I'm sure it'll come to you at some point, but, um, at this point, I, I just think this would be a good opportunity for, um, why don't you tell us about like what you're working on right now? Sure. Yeah. I'm working on a, uh, a game right now. It's available on itch.io. Um, it's called chess mix. And it is a uh, single-player strategy game. Um, it's um, it's telling the true story of chess. So, like, you know, <laughs> you know about chess, right? Like, you've played chess. But yeah. uh, that actually is a lie. That's not mm. the real story of chess. The real story of chess is that the, the chess pieces had this little board and they had a party on it. And uh, they collected snacks and chips and there's a karaoke machine and they they DJed the karaoke machine and they there was like a fridge and they got sodas and, you know, they just had a had a blast. And um, that's the real story. Uh, the whole kings capturing each other, the two factions None of that happened. So um, mm. that's that's the premise behind Chess Mix. And it's like a cute, silly little thing. Uh, this other developer who I recommend people check out, Happy Snake Games, uh, helped mm -hmm. me and did some really cute art. Uh, he, he does this like uh, MS Paint sort of artwork. And uh, yeah, so I'm working on that. Uh, I've got a couple of card games in the chamber that are in development. And uh, I also have been working on this game, Escape the Obnokronom, for the last like three years. And I'm about to do like a major overhaul on it starting in the summer. Uh, I'm actually going to change it. It's a turn-based single-player strategy game, and I'm going to make it into a real-time one. Um, so I'm actually going to kind of recode it almost from scratch, which is sort of crazy, but that's the kind of stuff I do. Um, mm -hmm. And I've just accepted that about myself, that I just <laughs> have these endless uh, projects. Um, and then, of course, Oro, you know, if you haven't checked that out, that's available on Steam. That took me six years to make. Uh, so um, that that's... And I'm, I'm really proud of that one. I think that's that's a good like if you want to see like what I'm about, that's a pretty good representation of my um, at least my formal game design theory stuff. And um, yeah, that, that's that's pretty much it in terms of uh, the games that I'm working on. I'm also, you know, always writing articles. I just put out a new article the other day and I, I have a Patreon uh, over at Patreon.com slash Keith Bergun where uh, there's, you know, I, I post early versions of games, little prototypes, um, and get feedback and have conversations and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much my, my spiel. Yeah. Awesome. Um, for, uh, some of your listeners, Keith, um, mm -hmm. my name was, uh, Daniel Moore and, um, sort of, yeah, we have just a, a music podcast. It, it follows in the vein of like, like your mom's house like like the comedy podcast we sort of like toned down some of the um aggressiveness that some of those uh comedy podcasts have mm -hmm. um but it's just like three guys that are in this rock band and me and we talk about um just like music personal stories uh doing live music and um you know just just a lot of and uh sharing discovery of music so mm -hmm. um for someone will bring a song and so we'll all kind of listen to it experience it critique it that kind of thing uh and we have a really good time with it so yeah be sure to follow um this podcast could take forever on itunes spotify stitcher all that sort of stuff and then you know you can find us on instagram and that is awesome uh, facebook yeah I, yeah I just subscribed just now so i will be checking out your podcast uh from from here on and i remembered the thing i wanted to talk about before you reminded oh, awesome. me yeah let's do it because you mentioned the whole like oh like hey you know uh which is worse this band or this band kind of thing uh -huh. and there is this thing that i've done for many many years and i still sometimes do it um which is this like sport of hating on stuff uh, yeah. you know what I mean? And it feels really good and it's like really funny and it's like it's just you get this like crazy rush of uh endorphins or something uh, from from doing that. And I'm and I've just realized that like th that that is um bad. And yeah. <laughs> no, I know. And having this conversation, I look at like that and I go, "Man, that's not exactly like nice to the people who um 
like have engaged with that stuff. The one thing is that 90% of the time when we've done it, there's people on either side of the argument. Mm -hmm. So, uh, we did, um, Oh, uh, the lead rapper from DC talk. I can't remember his name. And then a country artist who had a similar name. And so Mm -hmm. we were split on that because like I was more with the Christian rapper guy and then Mm -hmm. they were more with the country artist. I'm going to feel really silly because they're both huge names. Uh, I just can't think of it off the top of my head. Um, but you know, and so like half the time it's like, it's cheesy, but we have a lot of fun with it. And then like, it's like, I really love this because when I was a kid, I loved this and like, they really love that. And so like, we just like joke about like things that are like kitschy and, um, but, but we've actually stopped doing it for the most part because it just like, it was hard to find things to hate all the time. And it's mm. a lot easier to find new things that you love. Uh, interesting. Yeah. That, that's, that hasn't been my experience. Uh, but I, <laughs> I definitely like, especially in games, I have a hard mm-hmm. time finding things that I love, uh, mm-hmm. very hard time. Um, less so in board games, but, but in video games, I have a really hard time, um, and uh but but the, the you know the, the in either case it's like what you know because some things are really worthy of like hating on i think you know there is a place in the world for real critique and real like dunking on something but yeah like you know it's just worthy of us it's worth asking like you know what are those things what what are the things that really need that and what are the things that like are just kind of in bad taste maybe to like go after um or, you know, because like you're who are you really going after? You know, who are you really hurting by by, you know, by attacking Nickelback? You're not Nickelback doesn't care. And I mean, why do you even why do you why does one even care? I'm not calling you out. I've spent no, 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 many absolutely. years hating on Nickelback <laughs> overtly. Um, but like, you know, that Nickelback doesn't care. And and like, do you like they're not causing a real problem? Um, so uh, it's really like you're just kind of like punching down on these on the fans who you know uh i think within the case of nickelback i i i would suggest that there's probably some kind of classish stuff going on there because like you know nickelback is um i think like large swaths of the country who are Mm -hmm. you know i think we whether it's true or not i associate nickelback with like I don't know, like like Appalachian or like white trash or like, you know, Midwestern or like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like not. Oh, yeah. No, hip, I mean, we're, hip we're Brooklyn based kids. Here. Yeah, we're based here in Alabama. And uh-huh. so that is a very like re- that's a very real thing is like there is just a sort of a class association with like, you know, like some like poor redneck dudes love they love Buck Cherry, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just like you know, Buck Cherry is unbelievably trashy as a band. And like, right. so like, that's one that I'm never going to apologize for hating on. Just sure. Because like, it, I just like, I find that like very gross, but yeah. you know, yeah, you're right about like some of the hate that, that we throw on those things. Um, I, I think there's a really famous example actually is, um, a lot of times you, you ever hear people go, I like everything but rap and country. Uh-huh. Yep. So it's like, oh, so you like everything but music associated with, like, with two, like, underclass, like, things. You know what I mean? Yeah, anything but music that poor people like, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, that is such a, like, I don't think you realize that you're doing it. No, definitely That's a really bad thing, you know? And so (laughs) that's something... is you got to find you got to find the good in, in um, all sorts of places. Yeah, no, I agree. And and also, you know, if you don't like something, that's totally OK. Um, you know, nobody has a responsibility to like any particular thing. Um, and, you know, uh, it's just you don't have to. Uh, to some extent, that act of hating on things is a little bit of trying to, like, universalize your experience and your tastes. And, you know, there's a sort of a colonial thing of it over, like, I'm going to, like, okay, I'm going to establish Nickelback is bad. Now, therefore, you are on the musical underclass. I am above you. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and so I think that if you think about things in that way, it just becomes less tasteful. And, like, you just, I personally don't want to do that anymore. Uh, I still do it. 
you know, I, I still do it all the time. I, I, as I was writing the article, cause I actually don't like the from software games, like, like kind of at all. Um, and I found myself like really wanting to just like tear into them, even though it wasn't the point of the article. Uh, and so, um, yeah, uh, it's, it's hard to resist. Yeah, no, yeah, I know. And, um, so I don't know. I think that's actually probably a good place to leave off is just, um, you know, like, don't be afraid to have like tastes. Don't be afraid to seek out better stuff, but don't do that at, at the expense of people that like, you know, aren't, aren't paying that much attention, you know right. what I mean? Or like For sure. people that are just trying to live their lives. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been really awesome. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Awesome. Keith. And uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime. Absolutely. Okay, well, that was my interview. Again, I want you guys to go check out uh, This Podcast Could Take Forever. Um, this was Daniel Moore. Uh, thank you so much to Daniel for doing this. Um, also, uh, don't forget that you can support my show. Uh, if you enjoyed this conversation, consider becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash Keith uh, That's how I'm able to put together these podcasts. It's how I'm able to write my articles and uh, make my games, actually. So um, it really helps a lot, and it means a lot to me. So thank you so much. And of course, um, if you can spread the word about this show, that would actually really help a lot, too. We've kind of, like, capped out over the last few years. Um, and uh, I know that, you know, this kind of thing probably does have a, a cap on how many people um, can really be super into it. But, um, you know, we don't know where that cap is. So spreading the word would really help, and it would really mean a lot to me. So thank you so much, and thanks for listening. And I will see you again next time.